1977, a three-year-old me sat at an orange formica kitchen table in Stoughton, Massachusetts. I'm sure that at that age, sitting still wasn't my strong suit, but on this day I needed to because I was on important business. My mom had made a batch of salt dough, that sticky, pliable mixture of flour, salt, and water, and she rolled it out onto a baking sheet. She traced around my tiny, outstretched hand with a plastic knife and peeled away the excess dough, leaving a cutout cookie the size and shape of my hand. Salt dough will rise and bubble in the oven if you're not careful, so she poked it with fork tines several times along the top side and put it in the oven to bake and harden, but not before using a drinking straw to put a circular hole near the top. When it was baked and cooled, she brushed the whole thing in varnish and painted Brian 1977 in red letters on one side, the smooth side not park-parked with the fork tine piercings. And then she strung red yarn through that hole she made with the straw and hung it on the Christmas tree not far from the matching ornament belonging to my older brother. I still have that ornament to this very day, and I consider it among my prized possessions and certainly among my oldest. That's the power of a handmade item. Something so simple can carry meaning and value far, far greater than the sum of its parts. And in this case, those parts were basic supplies already lying around the house. The value is in the memory, the application of skill and time and love and thought, and the close connection to all of that for the recipient. Sure, it's also nice to receive the latest sensational thing bought off a store shelf and shipped from some faraway factory, and sure, some of those things can go on to become sentimental or nostalgic treasures. But a handcrafted item offers something that a store-bought item never can. A true piece of the maker and the giver. So why am I telling you any of this? Well, a couple of reasons. This episode is arriving to you on June 25th, better known to people like you and me as Leon Day. It's the halfway point to Christmas. Leon is Noel spelled backward, and I couldn't tell you what backward spelling has to do with the fact that we're at the halfway point, but that's okay. Call it what you will. June 25th, Leon Day, the Christmas Equator. Whatever you call it, many crafters also recognize it as the unofficial start of the Christmas crafting season. Around this time last year, major crafting stores had Christmas supplies on their store shelves. We're not seeing quite as much of that, though, this year. And that brings me to my second point. Even with six months to go, we're starting to get a pretty good idea of how Christmas of 2020 will look against the backdrop of a pandemic. Many event planners have already weighed their options and either decided to cancel or drastically change their Christmas events. My beloved Great Dickens Christmas Fair here in the Bay Area is a no-go for 2020. Others are going to try to forge ahead with masks and social distancing guidelines. Brick-and-mortar retailers are preparing for a less-than-stellar 2020 Christmas season. And we're all waiting to see what the guidance will be on travel and gatherings and quarantining as there's a decent chance that the Christmas season will also overlap with a second major wave of contagion. Now if you're like me, all of this has got you thinking. People are doing a heck of a lot more baking and crafting nowadays. Would a simpler, quieter Christmas, just for one year, really be such a bad thing? Could it even be better in some ways? Like, for instance, by taking some of the focus off of spending and removing some of the frantic bustle of shopping and travel. And by reacquainting us, or maybe introducing some of us, to the value and charm of a handcrafted Christmas. Maybe not entirely, 
You'll still order things from Amazon, I'm sure, but maybe just a bit, and if you're lucky, maybe just enough, for you to create or receive a handmade gift that will go on to become one of your prized possessions, just like my salt dough hand ornament did from 1977. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. On the crafty scale, I'd say that I'm a 3 out of 10, maybe a 3.5. I can figure out a sewing machine when I need to. I have passable drawing and baking skills, though I don't work on keeping them sharp. So to really understand crafting as a form of gift-giving, I'm going to need to talk with an expert. I'm Jules. I'm a knitter and designer, and I've been knitting since I was a teenager. Jules operates the Juliet Payco Design Store, which you can find on Etsy. There's a link in the show notes for this episode. And like many crafters, Jules started young and learned from her family. My grandmother was a knitter, and she used to knit me these little hats that looked like fruits or vegetables. I had a strawberry hat. I had a pumpkin hat. My favorite was a blueberry hat. I wanted a scarf to match my blueberry hat, so I asked her one year at Thanksgiving if she would make me one. But scarves, even child-sized scarves, can take a while to knit, so she decided she would teach me to knit instead probably the thing that got me into making Christmas gifts and Christmas ornaments specifically would be my mother. Every year she would make me and my brothers, all three of us would get a needlepoint Christmas ornament. And that's always one of my favorite gifts every year. And just like with my hand ornament, Jules agrees that the act of crafting and giving creates lifelong memories in addition to treasured keepsakes. She remembers the first handmade gift she gave to her brother. He was a senior in high school and his high school colors were like bright orange and black. I was FaceTiming with him recently and he was actually wearing the hat. He still wears it. Now because knitting is time consuming and labor intensive, Jules, like many other crafters, needs to be selective about who she knits for. In the knitting community, we have this term called knitworthy. It's a person who will truly appreciate all the effort that goes into a handmade item. Making something by hand is less about the actual finished product. For me, because it takes so much time, and I know who I'm knitting it for as I knit it, I spend all that time thinking about this person. And for me, it's kind of a way to reflect on our relationship and just be really grateful for them. So with six months till Christmas, that may give some of us procrastinators the idea that there's still plenty of time to do our reflecting and being grateful and all of that. But that's actually one of the reasons Leon Day exists. People should start at Leon Day because what happens is everyone gets really stressed and then they don't finish their Christmas gifts until mid-January. And so I think maybe this, this Leon Day thing should be more of an official start date because it can be quite stressful to be knitting too much at the holidays. Now again, I'm not an avid crafter or maker, and if you're in the same boat, you might be thinking that all of this just isn't for you. But don't be so sure. And don't dismiss the idea of using some of your quarantine time to learn a new skill that could translate into a meaningful gift. You can kind of start off with anything at a beginner level. Embroidery is, there's so, so many beginner embroidery kits online now. Like cross stitch is actually very easy because it is just the one stitch. Knitting is also fairly easy to pick up. YouTube is a great resource. You can learn absolutely anything on YouTube. So how about it? Is it something you'll try this year? Maybe make a salt dough ornament? Try your luck with knitting? Draw a picture? Make a handmade card? Dust off the old cookbook and brush up on your baking? As always, I'd love to know what you're up to and what your plans for Christmas this year are. Write me anytime at christmaspasspodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. 
If you're hearing this before the end of June, there's still time to sign up for our second annual Christmas in July cookie swap, and you can find details in the private Facebook group. So now's the perfect time to join if you haven't already. And speaking of Christmas in July, I'll be back again very soon with some more episodes and surprises. Until then, let me remind you as always that Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to Jules from Juliet Paco Designs. Be sure to check out the show notes for a link to that Etsy store, and also for a link to an original knitting pattern that she created for a Christmas pudding tree ornament. And as always, thank you for listening and for being part of the Christmas Past family. Let's grow that family and spread Christmas cheer far and wide. Telling a friend about the show or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts are quick and easy ways to show your support for the show. They don't cost a thing, and they really do make a big difference. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas Past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card to say thanks. Reach out for details on that. We'll meet again soon. Until then, stay safe and healthy, look out for one another, and may your days be merry and bright.